And there we see Abby D'Agostino oh. helping Nikki Hamblin back up. And now D'Agostino lifting as well. Abby D'Agostino clipped Nikki Hamblin from behind, fell very, very awkwardly, hurt herself badly there. Abby, you've gone to the doctor and since realized that you have a complete ACL tear. How were you able to finish that race? You know, it's honestly kind of beyond me. Um, so I think I had about 2K left in the race, and I, I literally was just praying my way through every lap. And I knew that, um, you know, I knew something was wrong, but I just was able to manage it enough. And um, I, I literally had a verse written on my hand that said, now to him who is able. And I was like, well, I'm broken, so, but I know he can do it. And I, and the fact that I was able to get through every lap and just cross the finish line was just a huge blessing and relief. Life is, is made up of moments um, like yesterday morning and you don't, when you look back in, at races that you've done, you don't remember times, you don't remember placings, you remember moments that you shared with other people and um, it's been the, the best thing that's ever happened to me in my, in my running career that, you know, Abby, who I didn't even know, you know, could have easily got up and just ran straight past me. Um, but she stopped and was like, no, come on, we have to finish this together. Abby, uh, the American runner, Agostino, she's a, she's a follower of Christ. And there's uh, interviews she did prior to the Olympics in which she clearly states her devotion to, to Jesus Christ. And when that incident unfolded and I, and I love what the New Zealand runner said at the end that life is made up of those moments because those moments reveal who you really are and that unexpected moment uh, in it uh, Abby D'Agostino revealed her commitment to Christ by just the way she responded and, uh, and, and I think in a very real way she demonstrated in that moment the way we as followers of Christ are supposed to act and behave and respond and talk and so on. And in this sermon series, One Another, we're looking at these verses in the New Testament where the Scripture says we as believers are to do such and such with one another. How are we to be in relationship with each other? How are we to respond to each other? Uh, through all kinds of circumstances because we're family and family has to figure out a way to, to make it work. And so we've looked at how do we deal with one another according to Scripture when we disagree with each other on, on, uh, on things. And, and last Sunday in chapter 5 of Galatians, uh, and we're going to be in, in chapter 6 today, but last Sunday we're to deal with each other under the leading of the Spirit, which means you're not going to get into the flesh and become legalistic, become critical and negative and judgmental, but you're going to show patience and kindness and gentleness and so on. So today, what we're going to focus on is how do we, how do we respond to another believer? How do we respond to another Christian when that Christian falls? When that one falls down, when that one falls into sin, when that one makes a, a mess of things, when that one makes a, a bad decision, makes a big mistake, when they sin, when they fall down, how are you and I as, as believers supposed to respond to another believer when they experience that kind of, that kind of spiritual or life failure? And the answer according to the New Testament in a nutshell is what you just saw in that video. If, if you want to know how the Bible says we're supposed to respond to another Christian when they fall on the track of life because they fall into sin, they mess up, they make a bad decision, what you just saw at the Olympics in Rio is 
how we are supposed to treat each other when another one falls in to sin. And unfortunately, unfortunately, we don't do that very often. We go some different directions. And the church suffers for it and the the lost in this world look at us and say, why would I want to be part of that? So let's look at what God says in Scripture about the way we're to respond to one another when, when we fall into sin, when we fall running the race of life. And so Galatians chapter 6, uh, the first five verses. Would you stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read this together, please? Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And for those who don't have a Bible the verses will be on the screen, but always encourage, always encourage you to bring your Bible, open it, because there's nothing like holding the Word of God in your own hand. So always bring your Bible, always open it, and study with us. The Bible says in verse 1, brethren, and I'm reading from the New American Standard, so it might be a little different if you've got a different translation. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, any sin, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And the bearing one another's burdens here is in the context of Christians falling into sin. So just keep that in mind. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Because if anyone thinks he is something when he's actually nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone. Now, that's often misunderstood. We're going to look at that later this morning. What does that mean? And not in regard to another, to the one who's fallen. For each one will bear his own load. Father, I pray that today you use the truth of your word to speak deeply to our hearts to challenge and motivate and inspire and encourage us to run the race you've set before us, but to also demonstrate your love to those who fall into sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now I want to make several points from these verses. And the first is basic, you know it, but we need to be reminded, and it's this, that Christians do sin. Christians do fall down. Maybe in the past, you were on the track in tears. Christians do sin. And he begins in verse 1 by saying, when one is caught in a trespass. Now, he's not talking in this passage about people who say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. Jesus is in my life. I'm forgiven, and he'll always forgive me, so I can just go out and do whatever I want to do. He's, you know, that's, that's not even salvation, okay? You know, a real Christian is never going to talk like that. So he's not dealing with that. So, so don't let that be an excuse for not taking seriously what he's saying in this passage. But those who genuinely love Christ and are following Christ are not perfect, and we're not going to be until we get to heaven. And sometimes some of us fall hard. Some, sometimes some of us make really, really bad decisions with terrible consequences. Sometimes some of us really mess up big time with sin. Is that not true? We can look around in life and remember people. We know people today who are guilty of that. Maybe you've been guilty of it. 
All of us are guilty of sinning, even as Christians. And when he says when they're, when they're caught here, it really has the idea of surprise, and it can mean both they're surprised that someone caught them in it, you know, like a wife catching her husband in an affair. But it also has the idea of they're surprised themselves because you have to remember that sin is deceitful. The book of Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today. I mean, right now, don't, don't wait until tomorrow or next week to encourage someone. Do it today. Why? Because sin deceives us. Look at that verse. We can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And have you ever known someone or, or maybe it was in your own life you, you you sort of woke up one day and thought wow how did i get here you woke up one day and thought why did i why did i do that because along the way it, you know it's that old it's that old image of putting the frog in a kettle of hot water of cold water and and gradually heating it and he won't jump out because the the temperature goes up gradually Sin deceives us. And, and one day you, you, you wake up and you look back and say, I never intended for that to happen. I never in, intended to go down that path to make those decisions. But this is, this is where, I'm at, where I am. And you're surprised that you allowed yourself to get into that situation. I would say everybody in this room can identify with that on some level. And so he says, when you find yourself in those situations, you find yourself caught. Whether it's because someone else has confronted you or you just wake up one day and say, wow, look at me. I'm not, I've got a problem. There, there's sin in my life. When you, when you find yourself caught in that kind of trespass, and the word trespass mean, means a misstep to to, to trip, to stumble, to, uh, to, to blunder, to slip, to lapse. He says when, when we see someone who's guilty of that, someone who's in that situation, we are to respond a certain way. And I think, I think the way Abby D'Agostino responded when, when, when Nikki Hamlin was first on the ground and when Hamlin was lying on the ground, she was crying because she, you know, she, it, it was so sudden and her Olympic dream was over and she was in tears and she was just laying there and she wasn't getting up. And Abby had a decision to make. How, what was she going to do? And when, when you look around in your family, when you look around in your church family, you look around in the community and you see another follower of Christ, a believer in Jesus, and they're laying face down on the track, they're in sin and they're messed up, you have a decision to make. How are you going to? To respond to them how are you going to treat them what are you going to do and in this passage he gives us some instructions so we can know what to do and here's that's that's what i'd like to share with you just a handful of instructions from these verses about the way we're supposed to respond and here's the first thing we are supposed to help christians who fall down who fall into sin get back up and keep running it's that simple our job is not to run off and leave them on the track. Our job is not to point a finger at them and say, why are you down there? Our job is to help them get up and keep running. He says in verse 1, restore them. Restore such a one. And that Greek word 
has a variety of uses both in the New Testament and in classical Greek. It's often used as, as a medical term for setting a broken bone. And you set a broken bone, one, to lessen the, the amount of pain, and secondly, so healing can take place and it can heal the right way. This word is also used for mending a broken fishing net. And so they have these nets they throw over the side of the boat. If they tear, they won't catch fish. And so they have to mend those nets so they can be useful again in the future. This word is also used of of refitting a ship that's been on a long and arduous voyage. And and now it's in dock and and you have to fix, repair all all the damage. And you have to restock it with supplies so it can go out on another long voyage. Those images help us understand what God means by this word restore. That, that we, are to, we are to restore. We're, we're to mend the broken net. We are to, to repair the damaged ship. We are, we, we, we are to, to, to set the broken bone when a fellow believer has fallen into sin. And we can make two mistakes when we see another Christian in sin. One mistake is to ignore the sin and in the name of love act like nothing ever happened. That's what a lot of our culture wants to do. That's neglecting the person who is hurting and struggling. The other mistake is to humiliate them, reject them, condemn them, criticize them, gossip, ostracize them, kick them out. And neither of those are in keeping with the biblical teaching of restoration, mending, Healing, resetting the broken bone. And so he says in verse 1, If anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Now, spiritual uh, doesn't mean you're better. What it means is you're still walking in the Spirit. You're not lying on the track. You're still walking in the Holy Spirit going back to chapter 5. You're not living in the flesh looking around being mean and negative and condemning. You're, you're, You're walking with Christ and he says because of that your responsibility, your role in relationship to that one that's lying on the track is to try to help them, encourage them, get them up so they can run again. You heard uh, in the interview when Nikki Hamlin was lying on the track, before Abby even realized how injured she was, she leaned over to her, was patting her on the shoulder, and we know from all the story that, that Nikki was crying, just lying there crying, and Abby's patting her on the shoulder, and she's saying to her, come on, get up, get up, we've got to finish this, it's the Olympics. That's the spirit. That's the goal, that's the attitude. We're supposed to have, according to this teaching from Scripture, when someone falls in, to say, get up. Don't don't stay down there in that pit. Get up. Get back on the track. Run again. It's not the Olympics. It's your life. It's your family. It's your future. It's, It's your King, your God, your Savior, Jesus Christ. Get up and run again because you've got glory in front of you. You have heaven in front of you don't sacrifice it and just stay here on the track don't just stay down in this pit stay in this mud and he tells us secondly when we do that we're to do it with gentleness not harshness 
Look at verse 1 again. He said, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness, or I think the NIV says gently. Gentleness. You know, churches years ago practiced a lot of church discipline. Several years ago, I, um, I looked through some of the historical records of our church. And back in the early 1900s, people being kicked out of church because they were playing cards and stuff like that. And by the way, do you know, decades ago, I'm, I'm talking about early, in the last century, in our own church, there's records. We've got the records where people sign pledge cards and they made their bank statements available and those bank statements were investigated and if you if you didn't if you didn't give according to what your bank statement was you were churched <laughs> y'all know that you want to go back to those days no okay <laughs> i didn't think so churches used to practice church discipline the problem the problem was that it was often harsh, inconsistent, and showed favoritism. The problem was that the Bible doesn't use the term church discipline. Do you know what kind of terms the Bible uses in our relationships with one another when another believer is sinning and struggling? It doesn't talk about church discipline. You know what it talks about? Restore them. If, if a relationship is broken, go and try to make it right. That's, that's how Scripture talks about it. That's, that's radically different than the way churches historically practice, quote-unquote, church discipline. Because it's not the church role that matters. It's the relationship, and it's the person's relationship with Jesus Christ that matters most. And so he says, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. How did, how did those two runners treat each other in, at the Olympics? And by the way, it was a chain of events that led to the fall because Nikki mentioned that in front of her something was happening and she kind of slowed up and Abby running behind her clipped her on the hill and she fell and they showed each other a lot of gentleness, didn't they? Why'd you slow down? Why did you hit me from behind? Could have done that. But they didn't. And it all started with the response of the one who was a follower of Jesus Christ and how she responded with gentleness. I had never noticed this until a couple of days ago. I was reading this passage again. And I want you to look at how verse 1 begins. It's very important. Brethren, even if... Now, that's, that's, that may be the most important phrase in that verse. Brethren, even if anyone, not just some, but anyone, doesn't matter who, anyone is caught in sin. Even if, what does that mean? It's pointing back to what came before. All of chapter 5. Everything we talked about last Sunday about those who live by the flesh, Christians who live by the flesh rather than the Holy Spirit because they live by the flesh and self-effort and look at me and how and what all I've done and they become negative and critical and judgmental and mean and harsh and so on. Versus those who live by the Spirit of God and develop the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness and kindness and so on. And then he ends chapter 5. The, notice the very last verse in chapter 5. Let us not become boastful. Look at me. Let us not become challenging one another. 
envying one another. Brethren, even if someone falls into sin, all of that still applies. You do know that the divisions by chapters in our English Bibles were not part of the original New Testament. You do know that, right? That is a study aid that we have added so we can find our place in it rather than like opening a, a you know, a, a 2,000 page novel. And I, I know it's in there somewhere, but where is it? This chapter and verse system helps us find our spot. These are man added aids or helps, but in the original, that's a continuing thought. We sometimes think because there's a different chapter, they're not connected. He's saying everything that we've said about the Holy Spirit and how we treat one another, walking in the Spirit as spiritual Christians applies even when the Christian falls into sin. And that's important. That's very important. Number three. We are to offer them a helping hand. We are to offer them a helping hand. He says in verse 2, to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And that's a beautiful verse. And when we take that verse in isolation, we lift it off the page. We lift it out of the context of what comes before and after. Then we can apply that verse in a lot of ways. And that's all good. But that's not what the text is saying. When the text is talking about bearing one another's burdens, it's in this passage that talks about the burdens that are created when another one sins. And this is a unique Greek word here that means a heavy burden, a heavy load, because sometimes the consequences, the outcomes of, the results of sin are heavy. Right? can be really, really, really hard to carry and go on. And what he says is we're to help each other carry those loads. Help them deal with the consequences. Can't always undo the consequences, but we can help them carry it. What does that look like? It looks different in every situation. You, I, I can't give you a book. I can't give you a list of do's and don'ts and rules. Say this is, what you, this is how you help them because every situation is unique. But if you're walking in the Spirit of God and you have Christian love for that believer who's carrying that heavy load because of their own sin, God will show you how to help them carry it. If if you need a book to help you know how to do that, you've got bigger problems. Carry one another's burdens. Give them them a, a helping a hand. You see, Nikki mentioned it in the interview that when they first fell and she was just still on the track crying. At the time, she didn't know she wasn't injured. She was just so distraught. She wasn't even getting up. And Nikki said, Abby could have just kept running. That's what most runners would have done. Go on with my life. But she instead stayed there and bent over and told me come on get up get up we've got to finish this it's the olympics a helping hand bearing the burdens 
of those who are in tears. And he says when we do that, in verse 2, that's how we fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? They'll know you're my disciples by your what? By your what? Love for one another. Does that, does that apply to another believer who has fallen into sin? How, how did Jesus deal with Peter after he denied him three times? Hmm? Yeah. He restored him, didn't he? See, see we, we have our nice little traditional church ways of defining what it means to love another Christian. But the, the harder stuff is this kind of stuff. Because this kind of stuff is messy. See, when you're trying to help someone carry their load in life, and they've got all their baggage and all the consequences and all that stuff, that's messy because life lived with hurting people is messy. And it's just easier to kick them out. Let's clean up our church role. Let's clean up the Sunday school. Let's just kick them out. That's easier. But it's not right. He says instead we are to, while helping them, we are to examine ourselves. Look at verse 1 again. Man, there's a lot packed into that one verse, isn't there? Verse 1, after telling us to restore them in a spirit of gentleness, he said, each one looking to himself so that you too will not be tempted. It means to keep an eye on yourself, to pay attention to yourself. Why? Because you're not immune to sin. You're not immune to temptation. And while you're giving them a helping hand, encouraging them to get up. You're looking at yourself, not them. And as you look at yourself, as you examine yourself because you don't want to fall into sin, he says you do it by, by, by not, you, you don't compare yourself to them or anyone else. Look at verse 4. But each one must examine. It means put to the test his own works, his own life. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. Do you get it? If what makes you feel good is comparing yourself to someone else and say, I'm not like that. I've not done that. Look at me. I'm not that kind of sinner. I'm not that kind of Christian. You're missing what he's saying. You examine yourself. You put yourself to the test, he says, not in comparison to anyone else, including the one who's fallen. If you're going to feel good, it's in you alone, not because you compare yourself to someone else. Because comparing ourselves to others leads to pride. And if we're not supposed to compare ourselves to someone else, even the brother who's fallen down in sin, then to whom are we supposed to compare ourselves for the test? 
You know the answer, don't you? Huh? It's Jesus. And his standards. And his will for your life. His expectations for your life. To the work of the Spirit in your life and the production of the fruit of the Spirit or the absence of the fruit of the Spirit. So I'm reaching down and helping that one and it's like I'm looking in a mirror to see what's wrong with me while I'm trying to help the one who's already messed up. But my eyes are are not focused on them trying to see what's wrong with them so I can feel better about me. Because when you look in the mirror and, and, and you look... You look at the standard that he has for us. You know, you, do you know what we begin to realize? We begin to realize we've got some issues of our own. Maybe ours aren't public, but we've got issues. We, we have some sin of our own. And we like to, you know, talk about what's the good sin and the bad sin. Sin, sin. Some have more consequences, but sin, sin. We have room for growth. And so when, in verse 4 when he says, and then you'll have reason for boasting, notice he adds, in regard to yourself, himself alone. Not, not by how you stack up against anybody else, but when you look at yourself and you say, all right, now here's what Jesus expects of me. Do I have a right to feel good or not? And by the way, the, 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 the boast is a, not a good translation of that Greek word. This is one time where the King James translation is the best translation of that phrase. King James translation of that phrase says, then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone. When we hear the word boast or pride in English, it's a big, big thing, right? Big, I'm going to brag. I'm, I'm proud. I can boast. That's not the meaning of this Greek word. And so the King James translation is a better translation when it says rejoicing. You're able to just look and say, you know what? I'm making progress. I feel good. When, when you look at your life along the expectations of Jesus, yes, I have sin in my life, but guess what? I'm, I'm all okay. You're not, you're not feeling good because somebody else is messed up and you're better than them. You're feeling good because, hey, I'm walking with Jesus, and it's just a feel-good. It's not a brag, a brag thing. It's not a comparison thing. It's not a critical thing. It's not a judgmental thing. It just says, yeah, I'm, in, I'm walking with Jesus today, but I'm going to keep my eye on myself because tomorrow I might mess up. Do you get the spirit of it? So be careful while you're doing this so that you don't feel too good about yourself <laughs> because um, that could create a, a problem. Look at verse 3. Said, if, if anyone thinks he's something when he's really nothing, he deceives himself. So be careful because when we spend our lives comparing ourselves to other people and, and so on, we, we can deceive ourselves into thinking we're something we're not and never deal, get, never deal with those things that we need to deal with because can, can, the truth is, listen, the truth is once you overcome the big outer sins, you know, getting drunk and sleeping around and the things we think of as the big sins, you know, the big bad sins, do you, do you know where real Christian growth takes place? It's in your character. It's in your heart and soul. It's in you learning to practice, live out, develop the fruit of the Spirit. 
And you may never cheat on your spouse and you never may never get drunk. But if you don't know how to be gentle and kind and forgiving, instead you're mean and critical and negative, you're not growing and you're not as godly as you think you are. And when you realize that, that hey, you know, God's, God's trying to deal with a little bit of pride I've got that nobody knows about. Or God's trying to deal with the way I think about certain things. Or God's dealing with my hidden pornography issue. Or God's, de- God's dealing, dealing with the fact that, that at home when nobody's looking, I talk to my wife or my husband or my kids like a dog. I got a temper. See, see God knows the real me. God knows the real you. And he says, if you're going to help people, you've got to look at the real you, test it, examine it. And if you want to feel good the right way, God's way, then let God work on those things fixing you while you're extending a hand to someone else so they can get up and run because God's going to try to fix them too. But it's not your job to fix them. It's your job to encourage them. It's your job to restore them. Is this resonating? Abby D'Agostino, D'Agostino she, uh, she encouraged Nikki, Nikki Hamlin to finish the race. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Because then she took a few steps and realized she was in pain and she was hurt. And she ended up collapsing with a torn ACL. And now, guess what? She was the one who needed some encouragement. The one who had encouraged was suddenly the one who needed it. The one who had offered a helping hand was now the one who needed one. So God says, pay attention to yourself because you don't know what's coming tomorrow. Treat the other ones right because you don't know whether or not you're going to fall tomorrow. Extend a helping hand to a Christian in sin because a month from now you might be the Christian in sin needing that helping hand. And so there's no place in our lives for comparisons. Here's the last point. In the end, even though we encourage one another, in the end, each of us are responsible for running our own race. I can't run your race. You can't run my race. We can encourage one another or we can beat each other up but the truth is I I have to run my race you have to run your race each of us have to run our own race while trying to encourage one another while we're running it but in the end I'm responsible for whether or not I cross the finish line and you are responsible for whether or not you finish cross the finish line we're responsible for helping each other but in the end, we're individually responsible for whether or not we get up off the ground and, and, and run keep running on the track of life That's why he ends this section in verse 5 by saying each one will bear his own load. You you have to carry yours to the very end, all, all the way to the judgment day. 
And, and when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a Christian, other Christians will not be there to help you carry that load. You, you're going to carry in front of Jesus whatever load you have. You've got to finish your race. And so when Abby collapsed to the ground the second time, Nikki encouraged her, but Nikki didn't have to finish her race. Abby got up, and she hobbled for one and a quarter miles around that track with a torn ACL. And in pain, she finished. you got to get up. Others can encourage you. You can encourage someone else. But in the end, you have to. You have to get up. You have to run your race. You have to cross the finish line. Carry your load. Because one day you're going to stand before Jesus. And you don't want to have spent years of your life lying on the track in tears. You get up and you run and you run. Even when it's painful, you get up and you run. What's, what's, what's your excuse for just staying down on the track? Even if nobody, nobody encourages you, Get up and run. Have God's word on the palm of your hand. Even better, have it in the recesses of your heart. Get up and run. Pray every lap. Pray every day. Pray in every circumstance. Pray without ceasing. Get up and run. stand and I want to encourage you if you're in a place spiritually where you're 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 flat on the ground there's sin there's consequences there's pain and you're just you're on that track in tears I want to encourage you to get up and run Because Jesus is standing over you and he's patting you on the shoulder and he's saying, come on, come on. You don't have to run this alone. I'm going to run it with you. And he'll forgive you. And he'll, help you. he'll, he'll carry you. But you've got to get, you've got to get up. He'll offer the hand, but you've got to get up. If you need to confess sin, repent of sin in your life, do that. If you kneel at this altar and and, and say, God, today I'm making the decision to keep running. I've been laying down too long. I'm going to run with you. If you're somebody who's, you think you're doing okay, but maybe there's a Christian in your life that's struggling, that's in sin and it gets frustrating, I know that, especially when you care about somebody and you love them. It's hard to watch, isn't it? And when they hurt you, 
and they hurt you, that's hard. I, I, believe me, I understand that. I'm not minimizing that. But brothers and sisters, we can't ignore what God says. Is there, is there somebody you need to extend a helping hand to? Is there someone because in the past you've been mean to them? You need to go and apologize. It's amazing what God might do in your life and in their life.